Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Piki mai, kakemai, and welcome to Our Changing World. From Radio New Zealand National. Now on Our Changing World, we catch up with protein scientist and Rutherford Discovery Fellow Wayne Patrick from the Laboratory for Enzyme Evolution and Engineering, or E-Cubed, at the University of Otago. While much of the research the lab carries out has very practical applications, such as developing better enzymes for biotechnology, the team is also interested in how quickly proteins can evolve and change. I meet with Wayne and PhD graduate Matilda Newton to hear about a recent scientific paper which is prompting a rethink of enzyme evolution. Wayne begins by describing what proteins are. They're really the workhorses of what goes on inside the cell, so we're particularly interested in enzymes, these proteins that catalyse biochemical reactions. And in general, they're really good at what they do. The ones we see around us in most modern cells are really specific and more than active enough to do the job that the cell needs them to do. The broad context for lots of the research in, in the group here is to understand what kind of evolutionary processes gave rise to those enzymes, and not only that, but by knowing a bit more about that, what can we tell about what the future may have in store for, for enzymes? So evolutionary time, that's a long time. We're talking hundreds of millions of years here. Absolutely, and that was something that's really hard for we humans to grapple with, that uh, you know, we live our lives on a timescale of days and weeks and months and years, but, uh, but biology's been happening for billions of years, millions and millions and millions of generations. And so um, trying to reconcile some of the events that we see happen really fast in evolution, in enzyme evolution, you know, emergence of antibiotic resistance or bacteria that can degrade human-made compounds like pesticides, now, those things happen on the time scale of decades, and yet we haven't quite connected that with all the other evolution that happens on the time scale of hundreds of millions or billions of years. So for your PhD, what questions were you looking at? I was studying how one enzyme can evolve from being specific towards one particular function to another one. So I studied two enzymes that are related to each other. So if two proteins can be related just as two species can be related. So if you think of maybe a, a horse and a zebra, you can look at my two enzymes and maybe they look similar in those sorts of ways. And I've been studying how one can be turned into the other one and from that we can infer some of these changes that might have been happening naturally over millions of years or might, as Wayne said, have happened really quickly in the scale of our lifetimes. So what did your enzymes do or what do they do? They both act in bacteria and they both act in pathways that synthesise particular amino acids, so kind of like the, the food for the bacteria. And they're both essential, so if you get rid of them, the bacterium will die, it will starve to death. And I found that one of them could indeed be switched into the other one with very minimal changes. What kind of changes? So, of course, proteins are made out of amino acids themselves, so there's sort of like a, a string of beads, and each bead is an amino acid, and we found that as little as um, changing three of these little beads was enough to change one enzyme into the other one. Matilda has a big, a big family tree of enzymes, some of which can catalyse one of the reactions and some of which can catalyse the other one and some of which can catalyse both of the reactions badly. 
uh, and they're all related by just a few, as Matilda said, sort of you know, three or four or six uh, amino acid changes out of the 250 or so that make up the whole enzyme. So it's a rich story. <laughs> yeah, so I, I sort of fiddled around with the, the active side of the enzyme, which is where everything happens, and worked out how the enzymes actually do these different chemistries and how they, they bind to their different substrates. So if it binds one, it's one type of the enzyme. If it binds the other, it's the other. And some of them, of course, can bind both of them, and they're bifunctional enzymes. And so I, I found out that some of the enzymes can in fact employ two different mechanisms for doing their chemistry, which is something that might not be that common. Enzymes tend to be very well specialised for both the thing that they bind and the chemistry that they do, and um, mine can be a little bit sloppy, but that might actually be to their advantage because they could choose to do something one way or they could choose to do it the other way, and that makes them more amenable to evolution because they've got multiple pathways that they can follow. We inferred something about uh, that, that we might be glimpsing what a, what a primordial enzyme looked like because of that. It's something that's a, an aspect of the way enzymes work that hasn't been explored much before. But I wonder if it's um, you know, a little hint of, of what the very first enzymes in the primordial soup, you know, four billion years ago, how they might have done their jobs. Um, poorly, sloppily, uh, but good enough for life to get going. It gives them different options for how they can change um, and they improve over time. But we think that a lot of today's enzymes are actually not as good as they could be and we were sort of exploring how that could be. Basically, you might think that through evolutionary time things just get better and better. So what you're saying is that actually that might not be the case? That's right, and there's, there's evidence building up from, from our lab and from our collaborators' labs and, and other labs around the world that ancient enzymes could have, you know, could have been more active than the ones we see around us today. And so I think that's a really interesting observation, and the implication is there's been this burst of improvement at some point in the evolutionary history of an enzyme. It's, it's effectively kind of gone too far and sort of evolved beyond the activity threshold that it needs uh, you know, to support the growth of the cell at its maximal poss possible rate. And not only that, but since that time, whenever that was in the past, selection could act on different properties instead. And so activity can erode, but maybe regulation becomes more important or... Uh, or the stability of the protein, how long it lasts inside the cell, maybe having a, having a protein that lasts too long is a bad thing, and certainly there's examples of that from, in modern biology. You know, we're just kind of putting together these threads that suggest that there's some richness to evolution that hasn't been explored at the, at the level of, of individual enzymes. We employed the metaphor of a weak link in the metabolism of the cell. And so if you think of a biochemical pathway as a, just a string of chemical reactions, and if one of them occurs slower than everything else, then it's the rate-limiting step for everything else. And so that is where selection acts to make that particular reaction, in this case carried out by an enzyme, faster. And so um, selection acts to make that faster, and the um, growth rate of the cell is determined by that particular reaction but as soon as it gets better it ceases to be the weak link in the cell and we reckon that once it sort of shoots past this what we call activity threshold um, selection halts and stops acting on it. So this is an idea that's challenging other people's ideas? It's something that maybe we as a community haven't thought about too much. It's an assumption that we're challenging, that evolution is this steady 
gradient increasing towards something that's the best it can be. And we're challenging that and saying, well, maybe everything was really good ages ago and is actually getting worse now. And I think it's really important to think about the enormity of evolutionary time. And a lot of people, you know, it's, it's so hard to conceptualise. As Wayne was saying, it's it's billions of years that we've been alive on this earth. And so a lot of stuff has been happening in that time. And I think people really need to bear that in mind and stop simplifying evolution as sort of an inevitable climb to perfection because that's really not what it is. It's a drunkard's walk. We've definitely made lots of simplifying assumptions, but so have others in the field, um, kind of connecting the evolution of a single enzyme to the evolution of a whole population of organisms. But one of the opportunities, I guess, was that, you know, the paper we're talking about was published in this multidisciplinary journal from the Royal Society in the UK called Interface. And so kind of the whole point was to try and talk biochemistry to some evolutionary biologists and talk a little bit of evolution to some biochemists and kind of try and synthesise all these ideas in a way that made some sense to us and therefore hopefully some other people too. So really you're just being a little bit provocative. Yeah, I think that's fair enough that we... Yeah, we've put up a bit of a straw man so that we can start this discussion and, and, and start this debate. And, and what's so great about fundamental research that we want people to prove us wrong, right? And that's how the field will go forward. A question going back earlier on. You talked about the family tree of enzymes. How do you create a family tree of enzymes? Some of the work that we analysed for the, the current paper is based on a technique called ancestral sequence reconstruction. And family tree is a really good name for how it works um, because, of course, the enzymes that we're studying are related to each other. And so you can draw a family tree by using the sequences for their DNA and for their proteins and you line them up and you do some fancy bioinformatics and you can build a family tree working out which ones are the most closely related but you can also go back along the nodes of the family tree like back along the branches if you like and find a common ancestor that you're interested in and it could be a thousand years old or a million years old or some of the oldest have been a billion years old and so that's right back at some of the earliest bacteria and you can infer the second of these particular proteins that you're interested in and you can synthesise them in the lab and they represent a hypothesis of what these ancient enzymes or proteins may have been all of that time ago. So in a sense you can recreate them and then work out what their function is? Yes, wow. and characterise that function and see how they measure up to today's enzymes as well. And so that's how you can infer that some of those ones were better than the ones we have today? Many of them appear to do their jobs faster than their descendants um, from today, and some of them um, might bind and react many different chemicals, whereas their, their great-great-grandchildren enzymes only bind one. So you can sort of trace a path of how these enzymes have changed over time. And they are, of course, hypotheses, but they're, they're very interesting hypotheses. I guess the other property that has been studied a lot, and less, less so by us, is what kind of temperature they are most optimal at. And so there's lots, you know, sort of lots of theories about life having a, a warm start or a hot start, and that's borne out by many of these experiments, that many reconstructed ancestral enzymes have sort of temperature optima that are higher than, than their modern-day descendants. 
fascinating stuff, right? This kind of a uh, very powerful technique to, to ask some really interesting things about the evolutionary history of individual molecules uh, by, I mean, as I say, by combining the, the evolutionary biology with the, with the biochemistry, you know, getting these proteins synthesized and studying them in the lab, their structures and their functions. It's really powerful and interesting way forward. There was that um, really nice example of several groups that studied an enzyme that created alcohol and an enzyme that um, broke down sugars and they found that a lot of these enzymes either started acting on much broader substrates or got much better at a particular time in history that corresponds with the emergence of flowering plants and so yeasts were beginning to come and flourish in a new environment and so you can see that reflected in the history of the proteins that they express today and it's really nice to have sort of that point in history to calibrate it with. That was a nice example. That was Matilda Newton and Wayne Patrick, both from the Biochemistry Department at the University of Otago. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.